great to see you guys this weekend. Happy holiday weekend. I guess all of us are taking staycations, and uh, we're cool like that. So I hope you're having a great weekend this weekend. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here at ICC, and we're so glad you're here this morning. We got out of town yesterday for uh, about half the day. Michelle's sister, our sister, Morgan, got engaged yesterday, and uh, Michelle just said, woot, woot. So apparently that's excitement. <laughs> but um, we, were really, we were really excited about that. It's been a fun weekend for us. I hope you're doing good. I hope things are well with you. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If you've got your Bibles uh, if, or your phones or your iPads or whatever you use for your Bible nowadays, uh, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. You know, we're on the honor code here with now with all the use of this technology. I see you looking at your phone, and I just trust that it's the Bible. So, you know, no ESPN apps, guys, and no InStyle Magazine apps, girls, whatever else going on. Uh, Luke chapter 17, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, We uh, just walked through the books of the Bible here at ICC, and we have been studying the Gospel of Luke for ever, Michelle just said. Uh, We've been in here over a year, and uh, it has been awesome. And uh, we are just walking through the Gospel of Luke slowly looking at the heart of God, looking at who He is, looking at the person of Jesus and what He says about us, what He says about Himself, what He says about what it looks like to relate to Him and what it looks like to be in right relationship with Him. And He is wonderful. Amen? I pray more than anything else that I hope for you today. I want you to know God. He made you. He made you with the capacity to know Him. And in fact, this life is not right until you know Him. And I pray more than anything else for you today that you have a true relationship with God. He desires you. He loves you. He's done everything possible to make it available for you to come back to Him. And I pray today that you know Him and that you are known by Him. Let's uh, pray together real quick and we'll dive into the gospel today. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you so much for Sundays, Lord, because it is a day that we can just take completely off. And the reason we take off, God, the reason that we rest, the reason that we come together, God, is because we want to just be with you. Lord, you're great. You're so wonderful. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. And Lord, we know your word says, and this is love, not that we've loved you, but that you have loved us and gave your son, Jesus, for the forgiveness of our sin. And so, God, we come today to celebrate you, to remember how much you love us, And Lord, to give ourselves to you again afresh. And Lord, to ask for your spirit and for your power to just totally overwhelm us and consume us so that we might be like you as you are. We pray this for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen. Well, you know what? Jesus came to save the lost. Isn't that great? Okay, I think it's great. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. But you know, Jesus didn't just come to save the lost. He came to transform the lost. Did you know that? A relationship with Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's an everyday relationship. It's an everyday thing. The gospel not only is the power to save, but it's the power to transform those who have been saved. Jesus wants to make you and to make me new. He wants to totally change us from the inside out. He wants to recreate us in His image. You know, God created Adam and Eve the way that men and women ought to be. And He created you and I 
in a way that we could be as he created us to be. But all of us have gone astray. All of us have gone to our own way. But the Lord sent Jesus Christ not only to save us from our sins, but to recreate us in his image. The gospel, everybody listen. The gospel has to do with everyday life. You should be teaching and preaching to yourself every day the gospel. The fact that Jesus loves you, gave himself for you, now lives to make intercession for you, that his power and his grace and his love is available to you. The gospel is an everyday life thing, and it changes everything about you. Can I just get a witness? Amen. Till the day I die, I hope that I'm continuing to be changed by the gospel. And I hope the same thing for you. We are talking right now, as we get to Luke 17, about the practical ways that the gospel, that Jesus changes our lives. And in the first four verses here of Luke chapter 17 talks about how the, the gospel, how the Lord Jesus changes our relationships. Anybody ever have relationship trouble? Wow, three of you, that's great. The rest are lying. Um, we all have relationship trouble. I didn't mean to accuse you of lying. I know you had your hand up in your heart. Um, we all have relationship trouble. Now, Michelle and I have never had a conflict yet. But we're pro- Wait. Oh, we have? <laughs> she just gave me the face like, eat dirt. <laughs> of course we have relationship trouble. Every relationship has trouble. You know, one of the things in my short time of ministry, one of the number one things that people come to me about for just, you just want to talk or counsel or whatever, is relationship trouble. People have a problem with somebody else. There's something that somebody else has done to you or you've done something to somebody else and it's created a seed of bitterness and frustration and anger and that leads and it snowballs and it snowballs and it creates distant relationships and it creates animosity and it creates revenge and all of these things that just aren't right. You know they're not right. The, the knot that you get in your stomach when you see somebody, that knot is not right. We should not be having all of this trouble with our relationships. And yet we do. It's a, it's a part of our fallen nature and it's a part of our fallen world. We have problems in relationships. But you know, Jesus, one of the ways, one of the reasons that He's come, not just to save you, but to make you new and to make you a person that lives in right relationships. He wants to make the way that you relate to other people new. And aren't you glad? And so we're here in, God, in Luke chapter 17. We're going to read these few verses together. And uh, we're going to continue in this discussion of forgiveness. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I Repent. You must forgive him. 
This is part two of a message called Let's Talk About Forgiveness in our series, Let's Talk About Life. If you missed part one, it's okay. We're going to do a little bit of review this week. And always, you can listen to all the messages at ICC online. It's free. You can get it anywhere, anytime. Just go to islandcommunitychurch.com, click Worship Resources, I think it is, and uh, you can get it there. But last week, we started talking about this. Here in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, we see Jesus warning us to be careful about the sin in our own lives. You and I should be very careful not to be led into temptation. We should be very careful that we avoid sin at any cost and that we avoid helping others or encouraging others or allowing others to sin at any cost. Sin is a serious issue because it creates barriers between God and you. And you weren't created to have a barrier between God and you. It creates distance. It creates void. It creates this problem. Avoid sin because you're made for a relationship with God. And then Jesus goes on in verse 3 and he talks about not only should you avoid sin and you avoid helping others to sin, but he begins to discuss, well, what happens when you're not the one sinning, but someone comes to you sinning? If someone sins against you, what do I do then? Now, has anybody had anybody sin against you? Okay, four hands. It's better. It's growing. We're, We're catching on. It happens. Relationships break. And then, what do we do? And Jesus' resounding word here in Luke chapter 17 is forgive. Everybody say that. Forgive. Say, I should forgive. forgive. That's what the Lord Jesus has commanded, instructed. That's what he's teaching us to do. When you have a problem in relationship, even when you did nothing wrong, You have a responsibility. You have the privilege of forgiving. A few things I discussed last week, and I want to set up um, this for those who weren't here, and if you were here, I want you to pay attention. Last week I told you to get a paper and pen or your phone or your iPad, whatever it is, I want you to write these things down, all right? So whatever it is, I want you to write these things down. If you'll go back to um, understanding forgiveness... Um, the first thing that I told you last week, before you can understand what Jesus is teaching here, is you have to know what forgiveness is. And to know what forgiveness is, you have to know what sin is. And the Bible teaches very clearly that sin is debt. The Lord's Prayer models this for us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sin is debt. It creates an obligation. When you sin against the Lord, it creates an A debt, it creates an obligation between you and the Lord. When you sin against somebody else, it creates a debt between you and whoever it is. There is, you you sense it. When somebody wrongs you, you feel like they owe you. Something has to be repaid to make it right again. And to forgive then, we talked about last week, you have to understand that forgiveness is simply giving. It's releasing that debt. It's simply Taking the right to repay and releasing it. Not pursuing repayment, but releasing it. It's a grace gift. It's just given. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It is given. You release that debt. But to release debt, we talked about last week, there, someone has to pay every debt. It's, it is just the reality of the world that we live in. Someone has to pay every debt. And so in order to release debt, Instead of you taking vengeance on the person that 
caused you harm and trying to make them repay, you absorb. It's almost, it's voluntary suffering. You absorb that debt yourself. You take it on yourself in order that they might be released of the debt owed you. Everybody tracking with me? You need to understand this idea of sin as debt and forgiveness as a release by voluntary suffering in order to understand what forgiveness is all about. I started walking through a process last week. If you ever came to me for biblical advice on relationships, this is the process that I would take you through. And so we're just walking through this together, what the Bible teaches on forgiveness, what Jesus is teaching here in Luke 17, 3 about forgiveness. I want you to see this process. We covered steps one through four last week. I'll review them real quick, and then we will land on the second half. The first step I told you last week, everybody say this with me, love your forgiveness. The foundation for being able to live in open-handed forgiveness and reconciliation toward all is to understand that this is how God relates to you. If, you don't, if you're not here, if you've never understood and never accepted and never believed in the forgiveness that God offers you, you will never be able to do any of the other steps in this process, at least not with a pure heart and a Holy Spirit-empowered motivation and enablement. You just will not be able to do it. You have to understand the enormity of your sin debt with God. The Bible says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. You have a debt with God, and every single person in this world senses it. You haven't done what God wanted you to do. You have wronged Him. You've turned away from Him. You haven't lived the way that He desires for you to live. And thus you have a sin debt with God. But the great news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came in love to be able to release you from your sin debt and bring you back into right relationship with God. And the only way it was possible for him to do that was to absorb that debt on himself. He suffered. He was killed. He was tortured. He was bruised. He bled out to death to take on your debt and mine. So that by absorbing your debt and mine, there might be the opportunity for God to release that debt from you and bring you back into right relationship with Him. Praise God. Amen? You have to love the Lord. This is who God is. He's a forgiver. He makes relationships right, and He does it by taking on the suffering Himself in order to release you. And when you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you will be saved. You will be brought back into right relationship with Him. If you don't understand His forgiveness, you will never desire to forgive anyone else. You got it? Step number two, I told you last week. I'm finding myself, this is terrible. I'm reteaching these things. I'm trying to review. I'm I'm trying to move quickly. Just stay with me. Step two, I told you last week, was long for restoration. Ephesians 4 talks about how we are one in the body. We should want to be one with every other person reconciliation starts with a desire. You have to have a desire to be right with other people. Some of us go around and we enjoy being at odds with other people. We almost create fights to just play the game, create problems in order to solve them. That's not the mark of a Christian. The Christian wants to live in unity with every other person. As far as it depends on you, you should long to be one with other people. Never give up on any relationship. Pursue it until it's right. Step three, lead in reconciliation. I told you last week that the Bible places responsibility on who? Me and you. 
no matter if you're the one sinning or you're the one being sinned against, you are always to lead in reconciliation. You take the first initiative as God has taken the first initiative in you. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thus, your responsibility as you understand and reflect the grace of God is while others may be in sin, you always take the first initiative to make things right as far as it depends on you. Step number four I told you last week was this. When you go to the person and you finally get there, the first thing you do is not point your finger, yell, blame, accuse, scream, cry, whatever. First thing you do is listen and repent. You listen and repent. You have to acknowledge that there is some percentage, whether it's 1% or 100%, there is some percentage of wrong in this relationship that was caused by you. Acknowledge that. Take that on. Admit that. Confess that. Repent that. Ask forgiveness for that. And then proceed. It begins with me. Everybody got it? Are you so excited that the review's over? (laughs) Everybody's looking at me like, wow. Okay. All right. Get your paper and pen ready because we're moving on. Step number five is this. Lavishly forgive. Lavishly forgive. I want to go ahead and show you step number six because... To be honest, they could be a single step. They're separate steps, but they are so interrelated that I want to go ahead and show it to you so that we can discuss both of them at the same time. Step number six is this. Lovingly rebuke. Lavishly forgive. Lovingly rebuke. Jesus calls us here in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, to practice two things. Let's read that verse one more time. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, You must forgive him. You see these two things represented here in the single command. Forgiveness. Lavishly forgive. Lovingly rebuke. And it's not just here. It's all throughout the whole Bible. You are to practice both inner forgiveness and outward rebuke as you seek to make relationships right. We're going to talk about the interplay of these. Now, the first question I often get is, well, Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4 here, says that they need to own up, man. they got to own up to their problems and their gross stuff, their sin, and then I'll forgive them. But until they own up and say, I'm sorry, forget that mess. They can just be how they're going to... They can stay in their trash. I'm not forgiving them. They ain't sorry. Now, who's ever thought that? Who ever knows somebody else has ever thought that? (laughs) I still didn't get any hands. This is just not working today. And if you just take Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, it does appear that way. He says, if they repent, then forgive them. So is then forgiveness dependent on their repentance? Well, absolutely in the sense that if they repent, you should forgive them. But I also want to show you some other verses. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Turn there with me real quick. Mark 11, 
You always consider, this is just a basic technique when you're studying Scripture. Let Scripture answer the questions you have about Scripture. It's so great. See the complete teachings of Jesus in Scripture as you approach Scripture. And as you have questions about Scripture, let Scripture guide you. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Here it says, When you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Here we have a guy just standing here in worship. He's standing here praying. And the command of the Lord here is that if you have something against anyone, if there's a problem between you and anybody else, forgive. Are there conditions on that forgiveness? This is just reading Comprehension 101. Some of you have taken the SAT or ACT. You can do this. Are there conditions on the forgiveness? No. It just says what? Forgive. Forgive. In the Lord's Prayer, we see this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, it says what? Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who... Yeah. As I forgive. Implicit in the prayer is this idea that you are forgiving. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48 says the same thing. If you've got a problem with somebody else, it is your responsibility to go to them and forgive. There's no contingency on that one. 1 Corinthians 13, this beautiful, beautiful description of love. Some of you just recently married. You might have had it read at your wedding. But one of the things that says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. The command again, forgive, forgive, forgive. So, you have to take away from Scripture this fact that you have a responsibility to forgive regardless of whether or not the person repents. You do forgive them if they repent, but you also lavishly forgive them even if they don't. You have a responsibility to forgive. Now again, we're talking forgiveness to release them of the debt that they incurred when they wronged you. That is the responsibility that God puts on you. You are to lavishly forgive. Everybody tracking? Now it moves us into the step number six, which I told you there's a lot of interrelatedness here. Not only are you to forgive, but you're also to lovingly rebuke. God requires that you speak truth. Luke chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, which we are in right now, you see this. There's a confrontation. There's a, you making the initiative to confront somebody about wrong. You're wrong and they're wrong. There's a confrontation and there's also forgiveness. These are simultaneous things happening here. It's a both-and scenario, not an either-or scenario. And the, the, the thing here that's funny is, Keller, Tim Keller points this out in an article he wrote on forgiveness, and I just thought it was brilliant. This is total opposite. This is, this is total opposite of how you and I usually do it. Usually what happens is, instead of practicing inner forgiveness, we stay 
bitter and pent up and frustrated and we hold a grudge, all that we, we keep on the inside. That's typically what happens. And we never confront the other person about what's happened. Isn't that typically the way it happens? You just you let it snowball on the inside and it builds and it builds and it builds and there's frustration and anger and there's desire for vengeance and all this stuff and you never go to the other person to try to make it right. And so it just creates these huge barriers. That's the way it normally happens. But Jesus is calling us to be new, to be like Him as He is. You and I aren't to operate in our flesh. Amen? We're to operate according to the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the grace that He has given us. And He says, look... All right, team, let me tell you how God made you to relate to other people. Not the way that you typically try to relate to other people. No, no, no. Team, here's here's how it is. You practice inner forgiveness, and you go to the other person, and you try to make this right. That's your assignment, team. That's how God made you, and you can do it by the grace that I've afforded you. You can do it by the power that's in you. This is how you should be in your relationships with other people. Everybody tracking? Okay. Why do we do that? Why do, we, why do we confront other people as well as forgive them? Well, you understand, first of all, how they're related. You need to forgive in order to confront. So that when you confront, you can do it without trying to abuse the other person. You can do it with a motive for the glory of God and not vengeance to yourself. You can do it in a way that is loving and kind and gentle. You need to be at a place of forgiveness within before you go to the other person to confront. Regardless of their response, you are forgiving them. Your attitude is one of forgiveness. You're not holding a gun in your hand when you go to them. You're holding an olive branch. Tracking? Hugely, hugely, hugely important. You shouldn't stay bitter like the little girl who <laughs> the little girl who got in trouble with her parents and they set up a little table in the corner for her to eat. And they heard her start praying and she said, Thank you, God, for preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> Don't do that, all right? Um, you shouldn't stay bitter. You should be ready. You should have an attitude of forgiveness as you approach those who have offended you. <laughs> oh my goodness, that was me as a kid. I just see it. Um, but you should also confront. You should also be ready to rebuke. And you know, um, why do you? A lot of I am a non-confrontational person. Who else is non-confrontational here? Yeah. Okay. I got a lot of hands on that. I am totally non-confrontational. Like. I get knots in my stomach. Like just anytime I have to confront anybody, and it's part of leadership, and God's gracing me with the gift of being able to confront more in love. It's just part of my learning, and it's part of your learning. Because God calls us here to be confronted, but to be confronted in love. And in fact, the reason that you must confront is because of love. I want you to write that somewhere on your thing. But the motivations for this, why do we do this? The main motivation for this is love. It is never loving for a person to just get away with sin. It's not loving to them because it allows them to stay in the sin, the yuck, the gross that they are with no consequence, with no one ever calling them out for it. 
that's not loving to them. It's not loving to others who might be affected by their sin later on if that pattern continues. It's not loving to the Lord because it doesn't lead them toward repentance and fresh faith. You will find yourself being selfish if you become a coward in your relationships with other people. It is self-centered not to confront. It is loving to confront. Now, I'm not talking about going with a gun and pointing at people and screaming at people and all that stuff. I'm talking about if you love them from your heart. If you're at a place where you're not holding their wrong against you, you should go to them and help them see where they are wrong, where their relationship went sour, so that you can grow together in grace and grow together toward the Lord. Everybody tracking? This is so, so, so important. The second reason why you do... By the way, this is all over Scripture. All over Scripture, that you go to them and you confront them. Whether it's your responsibility or not, you have the responsibility to confront. Second reason, first one is love. The second one is justice. You can write that one down. In the way that the Lord has chosen to forgive us, He has ensured that justice is honored. In the way that Christ died for sin, offered forgiveness, taking on the debt on Himself, offering forgiveness for us. Romans chapter 3 says that Christ had to die so that God could be just and forgiving in the same act. Y'all see that? When you look at Christ dying, you see that sin is costly. It has effect. It has consequence. Christ had to die. But you also see that Christ was glad to die. On the cross, you see justice, but you also see forgiveness available for all. But for you to forgive, what must you do? You must come and admit you're wrong, right? You must humble yourself before the Lord, and then He will exalt you. To receive forgiveness puts you in a position of charity, does it not? You have to beg. And it's the same thing. When we confront others, it ensures we don't want to just gloss over sin. You never want to just gloss over sin. You want to present the truth. As Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, Speak the truth in love. And let me tell you, this is one of the hardest things that you will find that you have to do, is speaking the truth in love. I also get a question, when do I confront Barrett? Do I do, I do this about petty stuff? Do I do it about big stuff? How do you... Scale this thing. At what point do I need to confront? You ever ask that question? All right. Two ways. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. And you can pull up the next slide. Galatians chapter 6. And I want to just look at this together real quick. Verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in my transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. 
One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. There are two things that is pointed out for us here in Galatians chapter 6. When should we confront? Well, first of all, you should confront when relationships are damaged. When your sin or someone else's sin is keeping you at odds with one another, you should all, you know, you can know, you can know, you can know with certainty. You should always take the initiative to make it right with them. When it's creating the slightest odds with anybody, I mean this, if it is putting distance between you and somebody else, you can know that the Lord wants you to take steps to make that relationship right again. And that's always going to involve some type of loving confrontation. Secondly, you can always know that you should take steps toward forgiveness when the person is actually entrapped in sin. Now, I personally believe that some of us need to be a little bit more spiritually mature in our relationships. And what I mean by this is sometimes there are some of us who get so offended at the smallest of little things that anybody else does. And that is a way to just constantly be in relationship trouble. If that's you in your marriage, where you just if, if he puts the fork in with the tongs up in the dishwasher and you want it tongs down, and that's ruining your day, you need to get over it. If you put the toilet paper on the wrong way or whatever those little things are, you just need to get over it. All right? The other thing you need to get over is if somebody did something to you, and it, look, people have bad days. Amen? You have bad days. Amen? Look, the way I drove to church this morning, somebody might have been offended. I was in a hurry. It, it might have just been a bad day. I'm not, I didn't drive sinfully to church, all right? Your, your pastor's fine. I've just used an example. I'm just saying that sometimes you get bad days, and sometimes you don't mean to hurt other people, but it just, you gloss by them, and it just, it's just a bad day. Well, don't consider those bad day moments. Don't ascribe that to their character. Don't ascribe, don't, don't say, well, they maliciously tried to hurt me in this blah, blah, blah. Just, just, just acknowledge that you're sinful, they're sinful, we all have bad days. Sometimes just mess happens, all right? But if you see that this sin is a pattern of behavior and it's actually entrapping them, where it's not just a one bad day kind of thing, but it's a perpetual thing that they're getting into, that they're enslaved by, that they're entrapped by, you have a responsibility as their brother and sister, one who loves them and cares about them, to go and confront them about that. Because you want to bring them into a place where they're in right relationship with the Lord and right relationship with you. Everybody with me? That's when you do it. Those two things. Now, the third question is, how do you do it? Well, you take Scripture's advice and you do it with all gentleness and with all love. And let me tell you that if you follow these steps, if you follow step number four, remember what that was? Look at your sheet. Listen and repent. Do you know what usually happens after you listen, after you say, you know what, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Do you know what usually happens? You're usually not going to get slapped in the face. The other person is usually not going to turn around and walk away. Usually, not always, don't hold me to it, usually... They will say, you know what, I'm sorry too. And this is, I, I felt the same thing, and this is where I'm wrong. And they may not list off everything you feel like they're wrong about, but you will have an opportunity together to share where each other have been wrong and to share how you both want to move forward in repentance and change to make it right. Usually, it will just naturally happen. But if it doesn't, 
then you just say to them, I just want to tell you how I've been feeling. After you listen and repent, you just say, I just want to tell you how I've been feeling. Now, you've already come to a place in your heart, you and I know, where you've already forgiven them. You've released this. So you're coming to them with gentleness and love and with kindness. I just want to show you some things that you've done that have really hurt me. Some things that you've done, name them. Attack the problem, not the person. Everybody say that with me. Attack the problem, not the person. Here are some specific things that you've done that have really been keeping us at odds. Regardless of what they say, you have a responsibility to bring that up with them, to show them where they might have been astray, just as you have already admitted where you've been astray. You with me? And it leads into a conversation. And if they say, I'm sorry, what do you say? I forgive you. If you mean it, you say it. I forgive you. Or another way to say it is, I won't hold this against you. That's water under a bridge. It's done. It's behind us now. You have responsibility to release them, verbally release them from that debt. Okay? Step number seven. This is huge. We're coming in for a close. These last two are quick. Leave revenge and restoration to God. Leave revenge and restoration to God. Romans 12 is such a beautiful exposition. Remember we studied this last week. Be at peace with everyone so far as it depends on you. And it talks about this, that justice is the Lord's. It is for whose to repay? His to repay. You need to know that when you forgive somebody, it does not release them from the justice and judgment of God. Now, sometimes I've dealt with people and I feel that people are scared to release others, to forgive others, because they think, if I forgive them, then that's going to make that person right with God. And they don't deserve to be right with God. They hadn't repented. They hadn't forsaken that stuff. They deserve to go to hell. Now, I'm serious. I've dealt with that. People, people just feel so angry and bitter and frustrated that they really want that person to be judged eternally by God because they just can't imagine anything that they deserved more. And so they keep back from forgiving because they don't want God to forgive. Listen, you ain't in the place of God. Amen? You are not God. And are you omniscient? Last time I checked, you didn't have everything in this world going through your head right now. You don't know everything going on right now. You don't have every possible idea of what happened in every single situation and every single motive and every single thought and every single action. You are not God. And therefore, you cannot justly repay anybody. Amen? You cannot do it. Justice is the Lord's. It is for Him to repay. You forgive as far as it depends on you, and then you leave the rest to God. You leave revenge and restoration to God. Track it with me. It is the Lord's doing. Just because you release doesn't put them out of the justice of God. They've still got to deal with God. And you want them to deal with God. You desire that, but that is not for you. Secondly, you need to leave restoration to God. And I get this question a lot. Um, People say, well, Barrett, um, 
if, if, if they don't repent and if they don't admit wrongdoing, how am I ever going to get over this? If I sit with them and I pour out my heart and I tell them how wrong they've been and they just turn around and they are so prideful and they never admit that they did anything to hurt me and I've got all these deep wounds and these deep pains and these deep scars to deal with, how am I ever going to get past this? And my question is, were you looking to that person to restore your heart anyway? People don't restore hearts. God does. And let me tell you, in these deep wounds in life, just like if you cut your arm, right, and it's, it's festering, it's scabbed over, it's got all kinds of goop in it, you got to, that's gross, I'm sorry. you got to clean out that scar before you can put that ointment on it and the band-aid over it for it to heal properly. Some of us need to let God do the work of God. He is a God who makes all things new. Jeremiah 17, 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for Thou art my praise. Beginning in Exodus 15, God reveals Himself. One of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha. It means this, the Lord heals. God says, I am the Lord, I heal. The Lord is my healer. And over and over in Scripture, you see these indications that God is a God who heals. He healed Sarah's womb to bring her life. He healed the bitter waters of Marah. The name is used again there to take that bitter water and to make it clean. It's always used in cases where there's restoration is needed to take something that's not right and make it right again. And you know God is a powerful God? Just say amen. He is able to heal. God makes all things new. And the question is not whether God will heal you. The question is, will you let Him? Will you come to Him in faith and confidence? And will you let Him heal those deep hurts and wounds in your heart? I love Zach Zaganik. He is one of my good friends. He is leaving this week to go to Savannah College of Art uh, to study there for the next four years. And we're going to miss him to death. He's been painting this this morning. Y'all saw it during worship. A lot of us come out of broken relationships looking much like this tree here. We just feel so empty and so dry and so hurt and so just needy. Just needy. But you know when you give yourself over to God, when you let it go, when you learn to release, which is the final step in all of this, step eight, learn to release. When you let your hands go and let that go up to God, give your heart afresh to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your restoration. I need your healing. I need your help, God. I'm hurt. It's okay to be hurt, but let God heal you. You cannot do it yourself, and the other person can't do it for you. Take that up to God. God makes you whole again. God can make you whole again, and it's not going to be an overnight thing. It might not be a three-week thing. I can't tell you it's going to be a one-year thing, but I do know this, that God makes all things new. And if it doesn't happen completely in this life, it will happen one day in heaven when he says there will be no more hurts and no more tears and no more crying and no more pain and no more sin. God makes all things new. Leave revenge and restoration to God and learn to release the final step. You release it. Don't hold ill will in your heart toward that person. Don't replay those tapes. You know, in Isaiah, the Lord says that He remembers our sin no more. You know, you ever heard that phrase, forgive and forget? Well, that's stupid. 
you don't forget. I remember things that happened to me in my childhood, things that happened to me in my college career days. I'm telling you, there are, you don't ever fully forget. That's stupid. But I tell you what you can do, what God calls you to do. You are to treat those people that hurt you as if they never hurt you. In terms of how you relate to them, you don't hold that in the way. God doesn't forget sin. He just chooses to relate to us not on the basis of our sin, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. But you can release it. Forgiveness is acted on before it's felt. You can release it. You choose not to treat them in a bad way. You choose not to release ill will. You choose not to... to talk about them, but to warn people about them. Oh, well, you better not be friends with them because let me tell you what they did to me. No, you release it. They're clear. As far as it depends on you, their record is clear. You're done. You release it. Corrie ten Boom, y'all ever heard of her? She helped Jewish people escape during the time of the Nazis um, and that horrible era under Hitler. And um, Corrie ten Boom said later in life, that she was having a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble releasing the pains that were caused to her in those earlier years of her life. She went to a Lutheran priest and tried to seek counsel and said, I just need help. And he pointed up at the bell tower, she said. And she, he said, you see that bell tower and that person holding on that rope, ringing that bell. He said, now watch when he releases it. What happens when it releases? She says, ding, dong. It keeps going. Ding, dong. Ding, it slows. He says, a lot of, she said, I felt like for a long time the problem in my heart that I was holding on to that rope and I kept pulling that bell every time the records came up in my mind and I kept replaying those tapes and I just kept it stirred. And every time that bell rang, it just got worse and worse. She said, but when I learned to finally let go of that rope, the pain was less and less and less and less. You learn to release. Amen? We're done. But my challenge to you today is this. First of all, I want to make sure that you are in right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you this, that God's forgiveness is wonderful. You have a debt with God, but God has chosen to do all that He could do to repay your debt when He sent Jesus to absorb your debt and mine so that when you give yourself to Him, He can cancel that record of debt and give you His total righteousness. This is a promise to everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus, who calls on His name in faith. And if that is you today, all you do is just cry out to God. You give yourself to Him. You repent. You believe. He does the rest. Amen? Secondly, I challenge you that I want you to make sure that you are living right with every person in your life. As far as it depends on you, if there is any wrong between you and anybody else, today is the day that God is calling you to make that right. Today is the day He's calling you to take the steps, these steps, these biblical steps to make that right with the other person. As far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with all. Are you willing today to repent of any wrong that you might have done? To listen, to repent, to go to them and to forgive, 
to lovingly confront and then to let God do His work of restoration and release in you. Is that you today?